Thanks, Buzz. Uh, I think I want to thank Pej for asking me to come out here and do this. Pej and I go back a ways, and uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to do this, especially for a friend. So thank you so much for asking me. And uh, welcome to everybody who is new to Alcoholics Anonymous and everybody who is celebrating. Happy birthday to the birthday boys, Jordan and Roger. Um, you know, three years is a, it's a big deal. Like all of this is a big deal. <laughs> Like the fact that anybody showed up on a Sunday night is a big deal as far as I'm concerned. So um, thank you for having me. And Carrie, thank you so much for the reminders and all your, your texts and stuff. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate your service. Um, and thanks, Iz. That was great. I've never had Izzy be my opening act before, but I might have to, have to think about doing that again. Uh, she was great. You know, and, uh, and it is an honor and a privilege to sponsor somebody like Izzy. It's an honor and a privilege to sponsor anybody. You know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous gave me the life that I have today. And if it wasn't for the opportunity to be able to give this back to people who, who really want it, you know, it's not even for the people who need it. It's for the people who really want it. And, uh, you know, if I, if I couldn't do that, I wouldn't be able to hold on to what I have. And I'm super grateful for my life today. Um, I'll give you some important information so you can judge me properly. Um, my sobriety date is February 1st, 1988. I was 18 years old when I got sober for the second time. <laughs> I, um, my uh, sponsor is Leslie E. And my home group is the Principles Before Personalities Big Book Study in Sherman Oaks on Thursday nights. And, um, and I talk about those three things because when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't want any of those three things. I wasn't looking to be honest, accountable, or responsible. I really just wanted to stay in Alcoholics, Anon Alcoholics Anonymous long enough for the heat to come off and everybody to stop being so pissed off at me. And, uh, and then I was going to go back to doing what I was doing. I had no, no intention of staying here for the next 32 years. Yet here I am, and uh, and I'm super grateful for that. I uh, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. My father was an alcoholic, and uh, and he worked in the music business. All fascinating facts about my life, none of which make me an alcoholic, but they definitely helped. Um, you know, my father, my father was the kind of alcoholic who had a blood alcohol level of like a thousand at any given moment, and he was just a party guy. Like we had this big house and this big giant pool, and you know, he designed album covers. There are some of you who are old enough in this room to know what those are, so I'm not going to explain them, but he designed album covers, and so he had a lot of really interesting friends, and, you know, these bands would show up at our house and spend the week or weekends at our house, and, uh, you know, they'd make all these crazy drinks called Skip and Go Nakeds and all kinds of other stuff, and, you know, you drank about half one of those, and you were naked and in the pool, and, you know, and, and that was just what it was like at my house growing up, I didn't, you know, I, I had drunk naked musicians everywhere and, uh, and I didn't know that that wasn't normal. I thought everybody had drunk naked musicians at their house. Apparently it was just my house, but I didn't know that. And, uh, and, and, and my, my childhood was great. Like I didn't know that there was anything wrong. You know, it, drinking at my house was like drinking water. There was, you know, beer everywhere. There was, you know, booze everywhere. Our whole life revolved around it. My chores revolved around it. And, um, and, uh, and it was just a way of life. Um, I don't really remember my first drink, but I do remember my first drunk. And I remember it like it was yesterday because, you know, I remember very distinctly who I was before that night and who I was after that, that night. And it's funny, I just saw a picture actually of this, this party that I went to that night. And, uh, 
and I was, I was this, this tall, I was taller than everybody else. I had bigger boobs than everybody else. They haven't grown since, but that's an outside issue. And, um, you know, I was just different than everybody else and I didn't fit in my skin and I was obsessed with what you were thinking about me all the time. And was I funny enough? And what, was I cute enough? And did my butt look cute in these jeans? And all I could think about was what you were thinking about me. And, and this night was no different. And I walked into this party, a cousin, my, a cousin of mine was graduating from high school and it was all these high school kids. And I was like 11 and a half, almost 12 years old. And and, uh, and I walked into this party and I was so afraid of what you were thinking of me, but I walked in and they were sitting around um, playing quarters and, uh, and I'd never played quarters in my life, but I walked in and sat down like I had been playing quarters all 11 years of my life because God forbid I look bad or stupid. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I sat down and I started to drink and, and the magic happened, right? As, this, as the alcohol started to go into my system, my arms got lighter and my chest got lighter and everything got really, really funny. And, uh, but the greatest part about that night was that for the first time in my life, everything that was going on between my ears had stopped, right? And it was quiet in there. And, uh, and that was the magic of alcohol for me. And, uh, and that happened for me, you know, every time, you know, did I become a daily drinker at 11 years old? Absolutely not. But did I become obsessed from that point forward as to, as to what did I have to do and where did I have to go and who did I have to hang out with in order to make that happen? Absolutely. You know, I was this kid who was a, you know, was a pretty decent student and was obsessed with being a prima ballerina. And all of a sudden I became obsessed with, you know, hanging out in nightclubs and hanging out with boys and going to places that, you know, 11 years old, 11 year old, 12 year old, and 13 year old shouldn't be going. And, uh, and I lived a completely different life. You know, I would slip out my window in the middle of the night after my parents had gone to sleep at 12 and 13 years old and get in a cab in the San Fernando Valley and take it to, to some club in Hollywood. And, you know, this was when Hollywood was a scary, frightening place. Like it was, you know, gangbangers and shootouts and all kinds of crazy stuff. And, you know, taking a cab at 12 years old could not have been a good idea. Like I have children. I can't, I can barely let them get in an Uber by themselves. I can't imagine, you know, if my mom would have known what I was doing, how she would have felt. But, um, and we would go to these clubs and, and alcohol started to make me feel like I was a part of life. You know, alcohol made me, um, you know, feel like I had arrived, like all of those things that it talks about in the big book, I completely and totally related with, right? And, uh, and one of the things that started, you know, some things started to happen to me as a result of my drinking. One of the things was, is I didn't know that you could drink and not get drunk, like maybe because I grew up in a house where there was a lot of naked people and that's what happened. Every time I drank, I came to naked somewhere, you know, into parking lots or cars or wherever it was. And, uh, and so that was always a weird, weird thing. But, um, but I was starting to have some consequences as a result of my drinking. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, so was my father. My father's alcoholism started to progress. And um, my mother started to chase him in and out of rehabs and in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the Al-Anons finally got a hold of her and said, you know, listen, we, uh, we have meetings for kids that have alcoholic parents. And if you want to bring your kids to meetings, you know, they could learn about alcoholism as well. And I just remember her coming home and saying, oh, they have these meetings, they're called Alateen, you can go and sit and talk about your parents and learn about alcoholism. And I remember thinking, why would I wanna do that? Like, I don't wanna talk about you people ever. Like, why would I wanna go talk about, I don't care what's happening. Like, I don't, I don't wanna talk about you ever, you know? But I lost that battle because I was 12. And, um, and I just remember thinking, if I have to go to this stupid Alateen meeting that I'm gonna go as stoned as I can stand and, 
So I got as hammered as I could handle and got in the back of my mom's car and we drove from the valley over to Brentwood. And, and I just remember thinking the whole way there, like, I'm not going to go to this meeting. Like, I will go sit in a bush. I'll go for a walk. I'll go rob a liquor store, but I'm absolutely 100% not going to this meeting. And she pulled up in front of the church in Brentwood and I looked out the window of the car and I saw the most beautiful boy I had ever seen in my entire life. And I went to Alateen religiously for the next seven years. And, uh, you know, this is a program of attraction rather than promotion. We don't really care what attracts you here. Just stay. And, uh, and I did. And I did a lot of my best drinking and using in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, um, my mom thought there was absolutely nothing wrong with putting her 13-year-old daughter on a train and sending me to San Diego to go spend the weekend at the AA convention, the SoCal AA convention, and spending the weekend in a hotel room with 16 other Alateens, right? One room for 16 teenagers, right? So the fact that I ended up like drunk, butt naked, covered in shaving cream really shouldn't surprise anybody in this meeting. Like, what did you expect to happen? But, you know, that's what my drinking looked like. Like, I always ended up naked. I was always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, stuff just started to go crazy. And, uh, but I loved Alcoholics Anonymous. I love to go to meetings and listen to the stories. The stories still to this day are some of my most favorite things. I love to hear people tell their stories. And, uh, and as a kid, I would go and sit in these meetings and I would listen to the alcoholics tell their stories because they were funny you know they were funny and we would laugh about all these crazy stupid things that they did and um, and I really thought for a long time that alcoholism had to do with consequences and uh and I didn't understand what being an alcoholic was I just thought it had to do with consequences and I remember like you know, my consequences were starting to catch up with me. Things were happening to me that weren't happening to my friends. And I was sitting in a meeting and, and I was listening to this guy who was in the Navy and he was talking about how he had been so drunk one night that he tried to steal a battleship. And I thought, well, I've never done that. So I couldn't possibly be an alcoholic. Like I got a ways to go before, before I can be deemed an alcoholic. And then there'd be other nights where I'd go to meetings and I'd hear somebody talk about like, you know, they got drunk and fell off the couch. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic for sure. Like I've done way worse than that, you know? And so I didn't really know what it meant to be an alcoholic, but I knew that what was happening to me wasn't right. And, uh, and so I got sober and, um, and I stayed sober. I got sober at 15 and a half years old because I had woken up in the alley across the street from Grumman's Chinese theater with my clothes torn and blood all over me, sleeping next to a bum. And, uh, and I knew at 15 that that wasn't normal. I mean, at, 30 and 40, that's not normal either, but it's especially not normal at 15. And, uh, and I got sober and I stayed sober for almost two years on the notion that, that this was just a drug and alcohol problem. And if you just get rid of the drugs and the alcohol, that everything would be fine. And, um, and a lot of my problems did die of neglect as a result of, you know, the, the, the drugs and alcohol being out of my life. The naked problem was not one of them, but a lot of other problems did die of neglect. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I stayed sober for a while. Um, but I didn't want to sponsor, you know, because I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. And I didn't want a home group because the truth is, is if you knew me, you wouldn't like me in this way. I don't like you first. So we're even. And, uh, and, and I, you know, and I just didn't want to, to be a part of the big book. Like, you know, it was written by some old white guy. What do I have to do with some old white guy? Like I had all of these just 18 year old or 15 year old justifications as to why my way of doing Alcoholics Anonymous was better than, you know, doing it Alcoholics Anonymous's way. And, you know, not surprisingly, after almost two years, uh, 
after almost two years of sobriety, you know, I copped a resentment at somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous and I built a case about why I'm not an alcoholic and I was out and off to the races one more time. And anybody in this room who's ever been sober in Alcoholics Anonymous and then gone out and come back knows how horrible it is to be drunk with a belly full of booze and a head full of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like that's the worst feeling in the entire world, right? And the amount of booze it takes to just make all those happy, shiny people in your head go away, it's tremendous, right? And so I had to drink so much more than I did before because I couldn't get those stupid people out of my head, you know? And I went from blacking out here and there once in a while to blacking out for almost the entire six months I was out there, you know? And, uh, and I don't have to remember what I did to demoralize myself while I was out there. I know what I'm capable of because I've seen what I'm capable of sober. Um, and I know that, that I did some really shady, really crazy stuff when I was out there. Um, but when I came to on February 1st of 1988, I know that I was super pissed off that I wasn't dead, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't drink enough to die and I couldn't drink enough to stay drunk. And, uh, and I was in that place, you know, when I got sober, they used to say, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? And they don't really say that anymore, but, um, but I was. I was in that place where I was so beat up and I was so tired of being sick and tired. And, um, and I said a prayer that I believe every alcoholic says at one point or another. And, um, and that prayer has helped me. And I don't really know where that prayer came from. Like I didn't grow up in a religious family. <laughs> I asked my father when I was five who God was. He said he was. That was the end of my religious upbringing. Like I had absolutely no, no spiritual information growing up. My father was an atheist being the alcoholic that he was. And so... So I don't know where that prayer came from, but I did say it. And uh, I went and detoxed in my bedroom for a couple of days. And my mom being the beautiful, wonderful Al-Anon that she is, finally kicked my door down and said, hey, you, you need to go to a meeting. You need to go do something. And I just remember thinking, no, like, I don't want to go hang out with those lame people. Like, no, I don't want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? But if you're anything like me, I can't stand my own company. And uh, so I put on my best outfit and hustled my ass down to, uh, to a meeting. And, uh, and somehow y'all knew I was new. Not sure if it was the Daisy Dukes or the bikini top or the candies I was wearing, but somehow y'all knew I was new and you were super, super nice to me. And, you know, you invited me to meetings and you invited me to coffee after the meeting and you'd give me cigarettes and we'd go to dances at the Platonic Temple. And, you know, it was a lot of fun when I first got sober. I was lucky that when I got sober, I landed in a group of people that were all around the same age as me. And, you know, for those of you that are new to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I, um, I hope that you can find a bunch of people that you can, you know, hang out with and connect with and who will invite you places and drag you around places. I mean, during all this COVID crap, it's so difficult, but hopefully, you know, you've got people that are checking on you and that you're checking on and, and people that you're connecting with because, you know, this A&A stuff and this higher power stuff, it takes a while to kick in. And so between the, the steps and God kicking in and, you know, when you get here, you know, hopefully you connect to the fellowship on some level so that, that uh, you know, that you're not doing this alone because, you know, doing this alone doesn't even make sense. And, um, and, and it's almost impossible. So I hope that, that you've connected to a bunch of people. And, and I was lucky. I landed in a group of but people around the same age as me and we all hung out all the time and uh, they just dragged me around and I was super grateful for it. And then one day, 
one day some crusty old timer decided to walk right up to me and give me his opinion, right? You guys have crusty old timers in this group, don't you? Right? Is Gene one? Is Bill W one? Like you got some crusty old timers in this room. I know you do. Oh, Hawk, you're one? Yeah, crusty old guys, right? Pez, you're not old enough to be crusty, but, um, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're looking to stay sober, stay away from those crusty old guys, boy, because they'll walk right up and save your life without you even knowing it. And, uh, you know, I was not looking to stay sober. And this crusty old guy walked right up to me and he's like, hey, you, he's like, you, you need to get a job. And I was like, whoa, 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 old guy. Like, nobody asked for your opinion. Like, shh, don't talk to me. Like, what? He goes, no, you need to get a job because if you don't get a job, you know, he's like, you got way too much time on your hands. You're going to get drunk. And he scared me to death, right? Because I was like, oh, my God, he's old. He's been here forever. He must know something that I don't know, right? And what do you do when you're a 19-year-old, can't find your ass with both hands, you know, don't have a high school diploma? What kind of a job do you get, right? And uh, when I got sober, rehabs were starting to become, you know, new and up and coming and all this stuff. And I had a girlfriend who was in rehab and she'd invited me to this rehab so she could make amends to me. And, and I went to this rehab and there's all these people just sitting around talking about the big book, talking about the 12 and 12, you know, just talking about AA. And I'm like, well, God, I could do that. I could do that all day. Like I can talk about anything with anybody. Right. And so when I went and I got an application and at the top of the application, it said, what's your sobriety date? Right. Well, I figured, you know, I'm, I'm a lot like Bill, right? I fancy myself a leader and I see myself running vast enterprises with the utmost of assurance. And I was going to prove to the world that I was important. And, and I thought, hell, you know, I don't remember that six months I was out. How will you, right? So I decided to put my original sobriety date up there, right? I mean, because seriously, like this is the honor program amongst liars, cheaters, and thieves, right? Like nobody, like Hawk's not standing at the door going, oh, Carrie's got this many days and Karen has this many days and melody is nobody's doing that right we're only as sober as we say right and so i put up my original sobriety date thinking nobody was going to be able to you know catch me in my lie and they gave me a job and thank god they gave me a job right and i went from doing nothing to working 12 to 16 hours a day strapping kids to beds throwing them in the druggy buggy taking them to a different meeting every night like it was fantastic right I was super, super busy. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, it was February 1st, 1989. And all of a sudden, I had a year, a real year of sobriety. And I was stunned. I was completely stunned by the fact that time had flown by and that I had really stayed sober for an entire year. And, uh, but the secret was killing me, right? The secret was killing me that I had a year sober, but everybody else thought I had more time. And, uh, and I had to solve the problem, right? But I don't have a sponsor and I'm not reading the big book. I'm just kind of like working and taking kids to meetings, but I'm not really doing it for myself, right? And uh, so I thought, well, I'll just get drunk after work because I don't understand what it means to be an alcoholic. I'll just get drunk after work and then I'll start all over again, right? Because then y'all know how sober I really am. And I won't have to say that I'm a liar, cheat, and a thief, right? Because if I'm a liar, cheat, and a thief, you might not like me and you may throw me out of ANA, right? So I had come up with this plan on the way to work, right? And I walk into work and I'm, my head is hanging and this girl I've never seen before looks at me and she goes, oh my God, she goes, what is your problem? And I said, well, I said, uh, 
I said, I have a year sober today. She goes, oh my God, that's so exciting. She goes, you should be so excited. What is your problem? She said, why are you not exciting? She goes, that's the greatest birthday out of all of them. She's like, what's, what's the matter? I said, well, everybody here just saw me take a cake for four years a month ago. Oh my God, she thought that was so funny. Like she was laughing. She was bent over in stitches laughing. And I'm standing there with my mouth hanging open like, bitch, that's not funny. Like, this is not funny. This is my life we're talking about. That is not funny, right? And she goes, oh no, no, Quincy, it's so funny. She goes, don't worry. Nobody is thinking about you as much as you are. What? Like, I was shocked about that more than I was anything else. I was like, what do you mean nobody's thinking about me? Like, everybody's going to be so upset when they find out. She goes, nobody's going to care, right? And nobody did care. Like, nobody gave two shits about it, right? And, um, and it's so funny because I tell that story because when, you know, in the back of the big book, in the spiritual experience, it talks about, you know, that, that in order to recover, we have to be honest, open-minded, and willing, right? It's essential. Like, we cannot recover without those three things, right? But there's a huge difference between, you know, physical sobriety and mental, emotional, and spiritual recovery, right? They're not the same thing. It would take me years and years to figure this out, but they're not the same thing, right? And so when I told the truth that night for the first time ever in my whole life, for the first time ever, I experienced just a little bit of freedom, just a little bit of freedom. And it was amazing. Like it felt so good, right? But the risk was so high. Like I had never told the truth before in my whole life ever. And so, and I was so afraid that if I told the truth that I would get it, I was going to hurt somebody's feelings or I'm not going to get what I want, or I'm going to lose something that I have. Like all those feelings always come up for me when I have to tell the truth. And so the fact that I told this girl the truth and she didn't throw me away, she didn't kick me out of AA, like that was the greatest feeling ever. Right. And, uh, and I was so grateful for that, you know, and I was happy and I was free for a moment. And, uh, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I do something good, I think I deserve a reward. And uh, so I picked out my reward and, uh, you know, sometimes a cookie or, you know, a purse or a pair of shoes, sometimes a boyfriend, you know, whatever I need to be rewarded with. Right. And uh, I picked out my reward and I had to have him and uh, <clears throat> he was it. He was, he was going to be the answer to all of my problems. And uh, they don't really like it when you date the patient's. Uh, so I had to get another job because I had to have him. And, uh, and so I quit my job and me and the newcomer, you know, all the old timers in the room know how this story ends, but me and the newcomer, we're going to move in together and, you know, we're going to skip happily down the road of recovery. And, uh, we, uh, I go home and we, I gather all my stuff and we go to meet at this house that we had signed a lease on and that we were going to move into. And I pull up to this house with all my stuff and there was a post-it note on the door that said, sorry, babe, split town with my pregnant ex-girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, Karen. Yeah. No kidding. Right. Like my whole face exploded, right? Like snot and tears and, oh my God, I was such a mess. I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I was just a mess, right? And my friend was with me and she goes, you know what you need, right? And I go, what? She goes, you need a sponsor. I was like, oh my God, do you know one? She goes, yeah, my stepmom, she's a sponsor. I'm like, take me to her right away. Like she's a genie, right? <laughs> she's just gonna go, poof, your life is fixed, right? So she takes me to her, her stepmom's house and who's a sponsor. I get over there and I'm crying and I'm like, oh, I don't have a job. I don't have a boyfriend and blah, blah, blah. I don't know what to do. And just, you know, more snot and tears everywhere. And she goes, 
well, Quincy, she goes, I have the perfect solution for you. And I said, oh my God, I'm, I'm so willing. I'll do anything. Just tell me, tell me what to do. I'll do anything. She said, well, Quincy, she said, um, I think you should be a stripper. I was like, okay. I mean, look, she's an AA, right? Isn't that an AA suggestion? Like I thought that was an AA suggestion, right? Like I'm not reading the 12 and 12. I'm not reading the big book. So I don't really know what an AA suggestion is. I just think that if somebody in AA makes a suggestion, that's an AA suggestion, right? I'm a brain surgeon, right? And, uh, and so I'm like, all right, fine. So I go and I get a job at a strip club and it was great, right? I go and... <laughs> I connect with all the other sober strippers and we become this sober stripper posse and we learned how to play pool and started hustling pool all over the state of Arizona, Nevada and California and making a lot of money and getting in a lot of, I mean, we just, we had a great time. It was, it was great. Right. And, um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to make decisions based on self that are going to later place me in a position to be hurt. And uh, I start to, you know, get into some trouble and, my best friend, who is the lead stripper of this club, she had decided to leave the business to join the circus. And uh, true story. And um, and when she was leaving, you know, she had this boyfriend at the time, and and she didn't really like him sometimes, and sometimes she did. And when she didn't like him, she would just tell him that she was with me. So he hated me, right? Because <laughs> he knew that I was covering for her all the time. And so so we had this going away party for her, and at this going away party. He walks up to me and he says, so, you know, she's leaving town. You and I should, you know, men, you know, have a conversation, men fences, make amends, blah, 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 whatever. Old timers know how this story goes too. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. So he calls me and we get together and 